Holy Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon me. I pray your Holy Spirit would be upon us. I pray, Lord Christ, that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start out. Uh, this class is one of three. This is called Preparing for Your Worst Nightmare. Um, as most of you know, uh, my wife and I, about three months ago, we lost our child. And um, I'm going to start out with uh, three caveats. Um, the, f- the first caveat is I can only speak from my perspective. I'm not speaking for Lauren. I'm not speaking for anyone else who's ever lost a child. I'm only speaking for myself. Because some of the things I might say might be offensive to you. For me to say that God is sovereign and I don't deserve to suffer, uh, that, I, that I'm a sinner who equally deserves to suffer, that might be offensive to another person who suffered. But this is my perspective. So I want, you to, I want to offer that caveat. Um, the second caveat is we're still very early in this journey. This is, we're not even to the three-month mark. And so this is where I am here, uh, you know, about nine weeks in. Um, I don't know what it'll be like nine months from now. I can only speak for right now. And the, the third one is, hopefully, by the grace of God, I'll somehow look like I have it together today. Um, we hope that no one's, like, running the tissue over there up to the, to the pulpit, to the podium here. But... Um, but that's not what it's like behind closed doors. I don't want you to get the wrong idea that because I can talk about this stuff and look like it's prepared, that behind closed doors we're not, you know, a basket case and not crying all the time. Because that's more of what the reality is. And so I don't want you to think that because I've walked through this and I still believe that God is good and that the Lord loves me and that the Lord is sovereign, that that doesn't mean that it's, you know, a train wreck behind closed doors. Because emotionally it really is. So I want to I want to offer that caveat. Um, there are three classes. This one is preparing for your worst nightmare. The next one is co- uh, confusion, doubt, and hope in your worst nightmare. And the third one is joy in your worst nightmare. That's the one I'm most excited about. Um, and here's the purpose of this class. The reason I'm doing this class is because for this, so that we will not be afraid, so that we will not uh, be in dread. Because I've had a million people say to me, like, if this happened to me, I could not make it. Like, if this happened to me, I would, my life would be ruined. And I'm telling you, my life is not ruined. It's not. I'm still alive. I'm still here. And I promise you, if you were in my shoes, the Lord will give you the grace um, to be able to walk, to be able to stand. And so the point of this is I I don't want you to be afraid, so that we will not be afraid. Because we all know that the buzzsaw is coming for all of us. Everyone's going to have something happen to you really, really bad. It's coming. Uh, It may have already come. And uh, and so, you know, I I remember hearing a man when I was in college, he had lost a child, and he... um, he talked about uh, this verse from, uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, where at the end of this long catalog of things, Paul says, remain standing. I remain standing. And, and I, re- I remember that now. And to say, like, I'm still standing, praise the Lord. Three months in only, but I'm still standing. Um, so, you know, to, to introduce this, um, as a youth minister, my biggest fear I've been a youth minister now for nine years. My biggest fear is always that, you know, I'm, a, I'm someone who tells kids that the gospel is true, but tells kids that there's a God who created the world who loves them, and that he has a big plan, for, he has a plan for their life, he has a plan to redeem the world, and one day everything's going to be made perfect. Jesus will come by, back, he'll make everything purpose, perfect. But one thing to understand is I've had a really, really good life. Like, I'm a white male who grew up in Mountain Brook, uh, I have really nice, really good parents who loved me and came to, you know, sporting events, even came here today. I mean, amazing. No. Um, you know, I, uh, everything came really easy for me. You know, sports came really easy for me. School came really easy for me. 
I was always blessed to have a lot of really good friends. Um, I got into the college I wanted to go to. I've never financially ever had to worry about anything. Um, you know, like, if you're, if you're me, of course you believe that God's good, right? Of course you believe that God's good. Now, if you're a person who lives in Sudan, or a person who lives in, the, the, you know, in North Korea, that's, that's a challenge, right? But if you're me, if you're white Cameron, then certainly you would believe that God is good, right? And so my fear was that perhaps my faith was just bolstered because everything had worked out for me. And, and that one day something really, really bad would happen. And that when something really bad happened, then I would lose my faith and I would be a fraud. And I'd be a disappointment to all these kids and I'd send them into a spiritual you know, tailspin. And, uh, and I would think about what's the very worst thing that could ever happen to me. And I'd say it would be that Cam would die. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And so, um, you know, November 11th, I got a call from my wife. And she told me that my worst nightmare had occurred. That the worst thing that could ever happen to me actually had happened to me. And, you know, I don't, no need to get into the details of that conversation. Um, but the, I remember the, the last thing I said very much surprised me. It just came out of my mouth. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, rehearsed. Obviously, you don't rehearse for this. You don't expect this. It just came out. And what I said was, Lauren, before I hung up the phone to go to the hospital, I said, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and God is good, and this does not change that. And that is, you know, that, I was like, okay, here we are. And that's the first thing that kind of came out of my mouth. And that has kind of been the backbone of, like, every day since then, of walking through here. Um, so, um, so I've thought a lot about how, and, and, by the, and also too in that, like I'm very surprised to find that my confidence in God's goodness has increased since that day. It's deeper than what it was before. By the way, y'all gotta quit. Y'all gotta quit crying because you're helping me out. <laughs> All right, just put on the fake smile. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> it's sorority rush in Alabama. Everyone smile, right? All right. <laughs> okay. All right, lighten it up there. Okay. So, um, so since then, I have looked back at my life to examine what has, um, how is it that God prepared me for that day? How is it that God has prepared me for this season? And I want to say, I'm saying emphatically, how did God prepare me? This is not about how did I prepare? How have I done this? Because it is entirely by grace that the Lord has sustained me. It is, I, I didn't know that things that were happening when I was a 16-year-old or conversations I had when I was a freshman in college, that they would be you know, creating the foundation for me to remain standing today. I didn't realize that. But in hindsight, I see how the Lord was being gracious to me throughout my life to prepare me for this day. Lauren and I both feel like it's as if this, that we like no, before November 11 was the first the first half of our life, and it's like this is the second half of our life. It's like everything had led up to that day, and so that's what we're going to look at today: is how is it that the Lord prepared me uh, to be in this situation? And scripturally, what we're going to look at is um, the Acts of the Apostles. We've uh, most of the youth group has studied Acts throughout the whole year. Um, and, uh, and one of the things I noticed as I was studying Acts and seeing all these horrible things that would happen to the apostles was how, I don't, I do not have that kind of faith. Like if someone was threatening my life or someone was throwing me in prison, if I'm being thrown in prison, like Paul was thrown in prison in Acts 16, I'm not going to be sitting there worshiping the Lord and sharing the gospel with a jailer. I was like, I, 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 that's not what I, I don't think that'd be my reaction. I'd be mad. I've been treated unjustly. I don't have that kind of faith. And so I've looked at, um, I've kind of seen some trends in like how, and, and what the apostles have to say leading up to their suffering that I can identify my, with myself 
as I've walked in this journey. Um, and so the three components are going to be the objective truth of Christianity, living under a narrative of truth, and the third one is living under uh, the narrative of the Bible and of redemptive history. Um, and so the uh, primary text I'm going to work from is going to be Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is what it's, this is Peter. This is the first, really kind of the first sermon of the church. Um, Pentecost has just occurred. And Peter is giving an explanation to everyone about what has happened. Peter says, says, Then Peter stood with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I, ha- to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken to by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will know. I will know. Um, I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on, on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. Well, then uh, Peter's going back now from that reading that psalm. He's going back to his address to the Israelites. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is, is here to, to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on this throne. Seeing what has come, what has come to you, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witness, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalt, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now, what you, you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God was made. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all, who are, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who have accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay? So this is, this is the first sermon in Acts. And almost all the sermons in Acts have pretty much the same structure, or, or they have some common opponents. One is they always look at redemptive history. They always look back and they, um, they look at the, the progression of the prophets and, and the figures of the Old Testament, and, and they, they point to how Jesus is the culmination of all of this. They all have this, these, general, um, these general truths 
that flow out of Jesus and his life and his ministry. And then they always speak about Jesus as Savior and Lord as objective truth. Okay? Uh, he said, and, and it's based on their observation that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, and they have seen him as the fulfillment of the prophets. Okay, and so the first, the kind of the first point here is, is that is about objective truth. Now, objective truth versus subjective truth. All right, my wife and I bought a car on Friday. The color of the car is smoky blue mica. I don't know what graphic designer got busy on that name, but that's what it's called. Smoky blue mica. All right. Now, that is objective truth. Whether you like the color of the car or not doesn't change that it's smoky blue mica. Now, I love the color. Lauren is taking or leaving on the color, okay? Um, and that might change. Lauren may come to love it, and I may come back to say, you know, honey, you were right. This color is rancid. It's awful. Um, but our feelings do not change what the color is. It, it's that color. President Obama, he is the president of the United States. That is objective truth. You might have one opinion about his presence. You might have another but your opinion does not change the fact that he is the president. The subjective truth might be your feelings. The objective truth is that he is the president. That is just true, okay? And so um, with that being said, uh, that has been absolutely pivotal for me in this um, because all of these things that God has promised, um, well, I know that they don't change because of my circumstances. And I look back at my life. I was a... Uh, I was at a conference when I was in the 10th grade up in D.C., and a girl asked me a, a very reasonable question. She said, why do you believe Christianity is any different than any other religion? And uh, I was like, well, I, um, and I just went on to talk about how God made me feel and things that God had done in my life, prayers that he had answered. And, I was, and it was like, hey, you don't have to be a religious person to you know, think that things, you know, that, that's not a very convincing answer. And so I was like, that's not, very, that's not really enough. And so I went home, and, and it's funny, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, of all people, um, dropped off a little booklet at our house. <laughs> now, a lot of it was really bad. I didn't, I didn't know that then. But, um, but there was this section about the prophecies, about, about prophecy of the Old Testament, how it was fulfilled in Jesus. And I started to read it, and I was like, man, that's hard to argue with. Like, hundreds, like centuries, like a thousand years before Jesus came, there were prophecies in the Old Testament that there would be a Messiah and he'd be a descendant of David and he'd be a descendant of Abraham and that he would be born in Bethlehem and that he would spend time in Egypt and he would come out of Egypt and that he would start his ministry in Galilee. There's even a prophecy in Daniel 9 where it talks about how from the order to rebuild, uh, to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, there will be 474 years, no, 476 years elapse from that decree to the time that the Messiah is cut off. And if you go to when the, t the order is made to, to, to rebuild the temple, fast track 476 years, it puts you in the spring of like around 32 AD when Jesus is crucified. And I'm like, this is very, very hard to argue with. Like, that's a lot of coincidences, okay? Well, then my senior year, I'm getting ready to go to college. And I was like, you know, most of my professors are probably not going to agree with me in terms of my religious beliefs. Most of my classmates are not. I probably need to do a little bit of reading before I go to school. So I was like an apologetics junkie for, uh, for the summer. I read uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict and More Than a Carpenter and 
um, who moved the stone, and the case for Christ, which, by the way, a case for Christ is the one I recommend. It's in the bookstore today. You can check it out. But anyhow, and I was, in, in particular, I was reading tons and tons and tons about the resurrection. And, you know, how, how do we explain all of the facts that everyone, Christian and non-Christian, agrees with as far as, hell, there was a man named Jesus who led a movement, and that movement was abandoned the week of his life by everyone and his leaders. And he was crucified, and he was buried, and his tomb was empty. His body was never recovered, and this dead movement explodes into the largest movement in world history, and the explanation of the leaders on why they turned around is because they saw him raised from the dead. And when I looked at all of the kind of like competing theories on what happened, on whether Jesus was actually really alive when they buried him, or, you know, uh, they had a hallucinogenic episode where they thought they saw Jesus resurrected for 40 consistent days. It's quite a trip there. Um, (laughs) Anyhow, I was like... I mean, that Jesus rose from the dead is the most plausible conclusion I can come up with. And so, anyhow, so here's, so then go forward to college. And I um, go forward to college. And so, uh, you know, freshman year, date a cute girl. End of semester, she's like, Cameron, love you. Just want to be friends, okay? I'm very disappointed. Bummer, right? Sophomore year, date a cute girl. It ends really bad. It ends really bad. There was a lot of broken glass in that one. She, she, she didn't want to date me either. So I was, I was just like terribly, terribly heartbroken, so upset. And so I come into my junior year, and I'm like, and I, of course, meet another cute girl. And uh, of course, not even nowhere close to the cutest woman in the world. He might be on the third row. But, um, but anyhow, and, and so I'm like, okay, 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 God, okay, here's the deal. Like, she, I'm going to date a really, really, really good Christian girl, and I'm going to pray really, really, really hard, and I'm going to really, really seek your will, and, uh, and, and, and my, my thinking is, it's a bargain, I'm not going to get my feelings hurt, right? And I mean, this girl was like perfect Christian girl, PCA girl, perfectly catechized, had every little doctrinal <laughs> answer in the whole world, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Anyhow, and uh, you know, last day of the semester, we're having lunch, and what does she say? I think we should talk. Yeah, right? Okay, I'm like, oh no, I know, I know what this leads to. And it ends with, let's just be friends, okay? And so I'm not hurt, I'm angry. I'm really, really angry. And I am packing up my clothes to go visit my sister in Ottawa, Tennessee, and my brother-in-law. And I throw my, cars, my, my, my clothes in the car, and I head out on I-40, and I want you to know it was a four-letter word conversation between me and God from Winston-Salem to Knoxville. Kids, don't do this. Bad idea. Don't drive when you're angry. I did not go under 90 for one second, and anyone can tell you I'm the slowest driver in the world. I was flying because I was so angry. Because I was like, look, God, I did all the right things. You know, I prayed. She was a good Christian girl. You know, da 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 all this kind of stuff. And like, you let me down. And I was kind of, praise the Lord, I'm here today, going through that spot between Asheville and Knoxville that's like, shoo, 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 shoo. And so, praise the Lord, I start to break to daylight to where it gets, you know, gets you know, straight again. And I keep on asking this question, why do I even believe this? Like, why do I even follow you, God? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, look, my life is no better than anybody else's. And then it's like this voice said to me, because it's true. (laughs) That's why you follow me. It's because it's true. And it was this shift of, like, following God because I thought it would be a better life or I thought I would get my way or I thought I'd be protected from suffering. Shifting from that to I follow God because it's true. He's good. Jesus really is Savior and Lord. I, he really is the one who made the world. He is the one who designed life. And, and uh, uh, you know, and like, this is, 
This is what it's all about. That's why I follow God. And here's why I'm saying this is so important when it comes to your worst nightmare. Because when you go to a hospital to say goodbye to your dead child, you're not going to believe that God's good if it's based on your feelings. I promise you, you're not. But I, it was just, a, again, just kind of like a moment of the spirit. I'm sitting there saying goodbye to Cam, and I look at the nurse, and I said, and there were, there were two of them there, I said, I want you to know this. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I'm completely screwed right now. But I want you to know, he rose from the dead, and I'm made. I can make it. I'm going to make it, because this is real. This little boy is in heaven right now. It is true. Like, God really is good. And there really is a plan in all this. And I don't get it now, and I'm never going to get it, but I'll get it in heaven. And, and because Jesus rose from the dead, it's true. And, and there, if, if Christianity for a person is something that is, helps you, you think it's, you see it as something that helps you become a better person, or it's something that kind of works for you, my, my, humble, my humble word would be, that will not sustain you on the day of your worst nightmare. It won't. But if you know that it's objectively true, that, that, it, that God really is good, and that Jesus really did rise from the dead, then that doesn't change no matter how bad the circumstances of your life are. And that, that right there is the backbone of moving forward. Good. We're doing good on time. Okay. Um, you know, one of our members of our church, he talked to me about how when he was, um, he was in high school, his sister died. He died in a car accident. And he talked about how his dad was like steady in terms of his faith. And he said, this was what my dad said. He said, listen, if God was good before she died, God is still good after she died. And so we can still trust him. We can still follow him. And so, uh, so knowing that it's true makes this segue into the next two sections powerful, inspiring, hopeful. The next two sections are about living under the theological narrative and living under the biblical narrative. If it's true, then all these promises of God in Scripture, then they, they actually, they're actually real. They actually give me hope. So we see here, you know, um, we see what, what Peter has to say um, in Acts 2. Sorry, lost here, for, uh-oh. lost here for a second. Oh, well. Yeah, here we are. Um, we see that as Peter is talking to the, um, to the people in the audience, he, met, he talks about the, the deliberate plan and foreknowledge of God. He talks about the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he talks about being risen from the dead. He talks about heaven. He talks about all these truths. He's living under this narrative of truth. You know, think about Paul. Think about the th- all the different things that Paul went through, how many times he was arrested. He was beaten naked in front of a crowd after being falsely accused. Uh, you know, Peter was crucified upside down. G- uh, uh, Stephen. Stephen is being stoned to death. And what does Stephen have to say um, while he's being stoned? He looks into heaven, he sees Jesus, and he says, Lord, forgive these people who are killing me, who are murdering me. Forgive them. They, don't, they, they know not what they do. Okay? And how is it they able to walk through this? Because they're living under this narrative of truth. Now, I use this word narrative because, um, you, know, in, in, you know, in different parts of life, we have pieces of the puzzle. And the narrative is what puts them together. So, like, for example, I didn't watch the national championship game. Um, so I woke up and I saw the score, but I, I wanted to know the story of the game, right? And so I, Mary Matthews was still asleep, so I didn't turn on the volume of the TV, and I was just kind of watching the different thing, you know, the different plays of the game. But I, I couldn't really hear, like, the story of the game. And so then I was able to turn on the volume, and, and there was this, you know, constructed narrative of the football game that kind of pulled every single individual play together to say, Auburn got off to a fast start on offense, and they stymied Florida State on defense. But there was a turning point in the game 
with this faked punt, you know, in, in the second quarter when Florida State looked like they were done, and da 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 da, and then there was a back and forth at the end of the game. And so they can they put it together into a narrative. And so I'm using this term narrative because there are all these little bits of Christian truth that form a narrative that we live under. And that has been like my lifeline throughout this process is remembering individual truths that are part of a, a, a greater narrative. So, you know, in uh, Lamentations 3, 21 and 23, um, the writer, presumably Jeremiah, says, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Um, his mercies never fail. A great is his faithfulness. And so he says, this I call to mind. He's remembering what is true. And now, now you know, the, the speaker in Lamentations, he is, he, is, he is sitting amidst dead bodies. I mean, the city of Jerusalem was obliterated. People had starved to death. It was awful. But he's, he's looking at this and he says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And that has been so much of my daily life, was walking through this narrative of truth. I have this little sheet here that I kind of wrote this early on for myself. Basically, it was kind of like all these little truths and like how they, how they affect me. You know, the sovereignty of God. God is in control. Like, this is not an accident. Uh, my, you know, um, certainly, you know, evil and sin are active in the world, but nothing is outside the control of God. Um, and, and so, like, my, it's not a random thing that my child died. It's within God's plan. It's within his sovereign decree. The goodness of God. God is good. He is perfect. His ways are perfect. I can, I can have confidence in that. Um, God does love me. Like, if Jesus is, in fact, God, he came to live perfectly and to die for me. He loves me. He is for me. I can trust him. Sin. You know, all this awful stuff in the world is a product of sin. It goes back to the very beginning. Suffering, death, cancer, all of these terrible things, they all originate in sin. And I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, too. I'm a part of the problem. And, like, I am, you know, for, uh, the, you know, for people, people in, in a well-meaning way to say, like, this, you know, you, this shouldn't happen to you. You work in a church, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm a sinner too. Like, if Jesus lived perfectly and he suffered the amount that he did, I'm not exempt from, from suffering any more than any other person. Like, why not me? And that, that is, that, that's a truth that protects me, God willing, from bitterness. Um, God suffers. He suffers. God weeps. He suffered in Jesus. When we cry, God cries. Okay? I have to tell you, I would hate God if he were not a suffering God. If I were a Muslim, I would hate God. If I were a Buddhist, if I were a Hindu, I would hate God. Because here I am suffering, and there you are up there, and you don't suffer at all. You don't know what I'm going through. You cannot identify with me. But our God, the God who is the Father of Jesus, every single time I cry, he cries with me, probably even more than I do. And so I can get on board with that God if he's willing to get in the trenches and suffer with me. Uh, The presence of God, I am not alone. I might feel alone at times, but I'm not alone. The Lord is with me. He has not forsaken me. He forsook Jesus so that he would never have to forsake me. I'm not alone. Um, Christ is my redeemer. All of the pain in this, all the sorrow, all the suffering, all the darkness, God can redeem it. He is working to redeem it. Union with Christ. I am one with God. My son is one with God. We are both being held simultaneously in the arms of God. I am connected to my son through Christ. When I embrace Jesus... I am embracing the thing that unifies my child and me until the day I see him again in heaven. Uh, The provision of God. God knows everything I need. He knows what I need today. He will give me the grace for today. The kingdom of the world. 
This is part of a larger plan of God's work to redeem the whole world. Eternal life in heaven. Look, this is when we get to heaven, this will be such a snapshot. This will be such a, just a snap of the fingers. Heaven is eternal. God willing, I have 40, 50, 60 life years left on this earth. This, will, this is so quick compared to the eternal bliss of heaven. In heaven, I will understand all of this, and I'll say, praise the Lord, and I'll be grateful. Okay? And so I, there, there is a day. There is an end to this. There is a time we get off the treadmill of suffering, and it's there, okay? So anyhow, that's just a composite of different truths that I'm constantly going back to and that give me hope, that help me walk through the day. And, you know, this is, this is the value of reading your Bible. <laughs> this is the value of listening to sermons online. This is the value of going to Bible study and going to church. This is the value of reading books, is increasing your knowledge of truth, deepening in your knowledge of truth, so that when your day comes, you can call this to mind. You can call these promises to mind, and you're living under a narrative that is true. This is a hopeful narrative. It really is. Last thing, last point is um, living under a biblical narrative. Um, Now, this is a little bit different than theological narrative. The theological narrative is more doctrine, truth that comes out out of scripture that encourages us. When I'm talking about a biblical narrative, I'm talking about redemptive history. And what I mean by that is, you know, the beginning of the world, like everything kind of got set in motion and God created the world, but then there's Adam and Eve and there's sin in the garden. <laughs> and that, you know, sets off all of everything that is bad in the world starts there with, with sin. And, um, and so, you know, God promises in Genesis chapter 3, he promises that he will send one who will crush the head of the serpent. And that is, and that, you know, kind of is the hermeneutic or the structure of the way the rest of the Bible goes. It's this work by which God is redeeming the whole world. And, it, and you know, in, in, at, in all, of this ta- all of the speeches of the apostles, they are constantly going back to the prophets, the prophet said this, the prophet said that, da-da-da-da-da. Or the people of the Old Testament. We see here in, in Acts chapter 2, um, you know, Peter is, cites Joel. He cites the Psalms twice. He is, he is looking, at, um, looking at the narrative of the Old Testament and how it culminates in Jesus. Uh, Stephen, before he is stoned, he, get, he starts with Abraham, and he goes to... Joseph, and then he goes to Moses, and then he goes to David, and he shows how all of what God was doing in Israel, all of what God was doing with those people, culminates in Jesus. And and so so that you see them looking back. Well, on top of that, you look forward. <laughs> you look forward. Jesus has come. Jesus um, has established his kingdom. The Holy Spirit has come, and it's all pointing to this day when Jesus comes back and everything is made right. Here's, here's why I'm saying this. Like, my life, my son's life, is all a part of that narrative. It is, I'm not saying that either of us are Moses or Abraham or anything like that, um, but every person who is in Christ is brought into God's narrative to redeem the entire world. And here's why that is helpful when you're sitting on the day of your worst nightmare, is there is purpose in this. There is meaning in this. This is not just, I'm sorry, and I, I, if you're a person who is wrestling with Christianity and you don't believe in God at all, I, I say this to you sensitively, and you can talk to me afterwards about how you cope with this, but if there is no God, this is totally meaningless. My kid is just atoms in the ground right now. There is 
nothing redemptive about this. There's no hope in this. There's no good to come out of this. Maybe, maybe, but ultimately, not much. But what I'm, the, the narrative that, that I'm living under and that I'm called into is the narrative about the total redemption of the entire world, like every single bad thing. So, um, you know, Cam lived, Cam lived three years in about a month, and he really knew the Lord. He had a profound faith in Jesus. I think a lot of you probably heard the story about the conversation we had with him the day that he died, where he, um, where he, you know, asked about wanting to be in heaven. He asked about wanting to go visit Jesus. He wanted to go see Jesus. And he asks about whether or not we would see, he would see Adam and Eve in heaven. And we were like, yeah, Cam, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, God forgives their sins in Genesis chapter 3. I think you will see Adam and Eve in heaven. And then he says, well, I'm not going to eat from that tree. I'm not going to eat that tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, well, no, Cam, you, 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 you do, you do. You know, we all eat from that tree. Like, we all sin. We all disobey God. And that's why Jesus came. And he goes, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on my sins. Okay? He, um... He was just an incredibly loving boy. Like he connected with so many people. Um, everyone kind of thought that, that he that they were his best friend. Uh, and you know, and it was you know, sorry to break the news, but you know, there were like 30 best friends for Cam. <laughs> and um, and yeah, he brought so much joy to us. And anyhow, and and like, it's not it, to me. It's so affirming that he we had that conversation with him Sunday afternoon, and he dies in the morning Monday night. And um, you know that this is that this is God's intention. And so like. In uh, Hebrews 11, 12, Hebrews 12, the, the Faith Hall of Fame, um, you know, it goes through all of the, the, the work that God has done in the lives of people in the Bible. He goes through Abraham, and he goes through Enoch, and he goes through Rahab, and he talks about all, you know, talks about all these different people in the Bible, and he says, the, the work that God started in Abraham, it continues in you, here and now. You know, it says in Philippians, it says, he who began a good work in you, will perfect it, will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. That's when Jesus returns. And so, like, Cam's life is a part of that. Like, and it will continue. Who knows how God, we'll know in heaven, but he knows right now. You know, you little devil. Um, But uh, he knows in heaven all that the Lord has done in his life already and all that will go on for generations. It's true in our life, too. Like, our, our lives are a part of God's work to redeem the world. And when you know that that's, that's what's at stake, that's the glory that's at stake, then you're like, okay, I can suffer. I can suffer. If it, I can suffer as a person that God has included in his work to redeem the entire world. Uh, and, and, and it's going to really stink. But it's going to be phenomenal on the other side. It's going to be phenomenal in heaven, and that's forever. And so just to sum it all up, um, you know, it's in terms of preparing for your worst nightmare, I would encourage you, if, if you really are not really clear on why you believe in Christianity, I'd encourage you to really study it. I really would. So that, so that you'll have a confidence that this stuff is true. And it's not just stuff you're saying to make yourself feel better. Because if I'm just saying this to make myself feel better, I, I'm sorry. I think we're all skeptical enough. I think we're all smart enough to be like, I'm just, I'm just talking business to myself. Secondly, um, I'd encourage you to really grow, you know, to, to really grow. Um, you know, I'd say grow in your knowledge of truth, but ask the Lord to ask the Lord to bless you in that and to increase you in that. Um, because man, these little truths—they're just like they're bread, they're bread and water for survival in a desert. They really are. Uh, and by the way, I would encourage you—like you know a whole lot more than you realize. God has planted a whole lot more seeds in your life than you realize. Like when the when everything hits the fan 
and you know, you're know you hit on the mat, it's funny how a lot of the stuff that God's already done bubbles up in your life. And then secondly, understand too that it, when your day comes that you really are a part of something incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful and ultimate, like the ultimate thing of redeeming the world. And so none, none of your suffering, none of your nightmare is, is futile. It's not futile. It's not pointless. It's magnificent and it's glorious. And you will know about it in heaven and you'll celebrate it. And so I would close to say this, like Lauren and I have become very clear. Um, uh, I, I, I just want to be very clear because I can say these things right now and the Holy Spirit has really blessed me to do this class in this context, I don't really want you, I don't want you to celebrate Cameron or be like, wow, Cameron, your faith is so wonderful. Because faith comes from two sources. Faith comes from hearing. says that in, um, help me out, Lauren, is it Romans 10? Yeah. Romans 10, okay. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. And, the, and hearing the word of God, and the word of God is the word of Christ. Okay, So it is something that the Lord gives to us. And secondly, faith comes by grace. It comes by grace. Uh, you see the, the father in Mark 7 say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It is something that we depend on God for. It's not something that we muster, muster up. It's not something we make ourselves believe. That's not what it is. It, it comes from above. So um, let me pray for us. And uh, questions? Three minutes. I'll pray for us. And we can, we can do questions, like two questions if anybody wants to. Um, Jesus, um, we give you thanks and praise uh, that you came and that you lived perfectly for us and you died for us and that you're risen from the dead and that uh, this stuff is true. And I pray, God, that you give us all hope. Um, we're in the suffering we're in right now, the trial we're in now, the nightmare that we may be living right now, and in the nightmare that may be to come. I pray, God, that you give us hope and that you would uh, build our knowledge of you, you build our knowledge of your truth, And Lord, give us a real sense that we really are a part of um, your magnificent work, God. And we give you all thanks, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.